You are listening to the podcast of Calvary Church in Irwin, Pennsylvania. For more information, you can visit us online at calvaryirwin.com. Well, good morning, everybody. And uh, if I haven't a chance to meet you, my name is Nick. I'm the lead pastor here. And, and this month, we're talking about uh, uh, a level of diversity that oftentimes we don't discuss very often. You kind of see the beauty of our differences and the things that connect us. And we're gonna be talking about our generations. There was a song uh, way back in the day uh, called Talking About My Generation. Maybe you've heard of it. If you haven't, you can search on Spotify or something later. But um, we like to talk about our generation and in our society, we oftentimes talk about what's wrong with the other generations. And the beauty of the church is found not in its uniformity, but its diversity and uh, diversity generationally. And uh, we've missed this oftentimes. I've grown up in the church, I've been in church my entire life, and oftentimes we have gotten this all wrong. Let me give you an example. When I was a teenager, uh, I played on the worship team, played the drums, and um, I, uh, I was you know, on the worship team mid to late 90s, and there was this one particular Sunday, never forget it, uh, where we were introducing this brand new song. Now, uh, some of you might not understand this, but in the 90s, there was like this huge worship boom, meaning like there was worship music coming out all the time. We kind of become accustomed in, on K-Love or wherever there's new songs coming out all the time. Well, up until the 90s, that didn't really happen in the church very often. Um, most churches were still singing songs written in the 1800s, maybe the 1950s, or if they're really contemporary, like the 1970s. Uh, it just wasn't a thing. Well, in the 90s, like, Groups like Delirious or Hillsong or Passion were putting out these new worship songs. And, and it was this incredible time as a teenager for worship, but that wasn't necessarily how it all translated uh, in the church. So this particular Sunday, I'm playing drums. We're gonna be doing this brand new song. It's called I Could Sing of Your Love Forever. I don't know if any of you remember that song. It's like an old song to some now, but uh, it was like this brand new song Delirious had done. It was like an awesome song. And, and, and I'm playing the drums and, and kind of how our sanctuary, our platform was set up. Like I'm in the corner here playing the drums and, and to my left was this older lady named Betty Lou. She played the organ. And to my right was a middle-aged lady named Lucy and she played the piano. And we're getting ready to start the song. And, and as we start the song, Betty Lou is going into her thing with the organ, however they do that with like different levels. And I look over, I'm playing the drums, and I look over and Lucy isn't playing. I was like, well, that's kind of odd. She had literally reached into her purse, pulled out a bulletin, and she's sitting back there on her little bench reading her bulletin, like protesting. She didn't like the song. Now, I was a teenager, immature, fortunately had some level of self-discipline. I was this close to whipping my drumsticks at her. I was like, <laughs> what are you doing? How dare you like, do this in the middle of worship? I couldn't believe it. And I'm like, this isn't even that bad of a song. Like, it's a really good song. Um, and, and, and you might be like, that's the oddest, wildest thing I've ever heard in my life. Like, that stuff doesn't happen in churches. And, and let, me, let me tell you, like, that stuff happens a lot. Uh, I've experienced it numerous times, not just in that church, but in other churches, and, and yes, even, even in this church. And, 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 it, and it gets to this point of, like, I, as a teenager, loved the music of that time, of that era. I could connect with it. I could relate with it. Uh, 
I, I loved what was taking place in worship in that time. I mean, it, you, you might not know this, but like there's this thing called Passion, which was kind of a movement, a worship movement of young adults. And, and my senior year of high school, they did this big gathering outside of Memphis, Tennessee in a big field and, and it poured down rain. It was a one day worship conference, poured down mud everywhere and thousands of young adults worshiping God in the middle of it all. Like what a special, special time that was. Um, but, but, but here's the deal. Like that time for me was something that I connected with because it was my generation. But there are other generations who are processing that and still to this day process that differently. And, and, and the question is like, why do we talk about this? Like why, why, are we, why would we talk about worship? This isn't about worship, this isn't about music, but this is about our generations. We're not here to debate worship styles or approaches or songs, but instead I wanna talk through uh, this issue that we don't breach very often and, and, and it's really, really important. Uh, if you were with us this last month, we uh, went through this uh, series. We were talking about the incredible importance uh, of, of finding the safest place on earth that God desires that, that we as his children and his followers can lean into spiritual community. We need that. And, and what we wanna talk about this month is something that often keeps us from that very sense of community. Not our pride, not, not our, our personality differences, our perspectives on this or that. Um, it's our generational differences. That, that in the church we have young and we have old and we have everything in between. What I experienced as a teenager in the late 90s that Sunday wasn't simply a difference of opinion on music style. It was a difference of generations. Uh, let me explain. Uh, if you just look at these three members of the worship team that we talked about, all from different generations and how they responded. Betty Lou, she was from the greatest generation, the builder generation. Uh, Betty Lou, she did what she was asked to do because it was the proper thing to do. She was faithful, she was loyal, she was committed, regardless of her opinion. That was Betty Lou. Myself, I was a young kid. Depending on you know, where the generational lines, I was either a, an old millennial or I'm a young Gen X. I loved the new music, I wanted more of it. I was ready to change the world, I was like, let's go. Lucy, she was part of a baby boomer generation. She resisted everything. She didn't like anyone telling her what to do or even, even her pastor. She was willing to do something about it even if it meant protesting in the middle of worship. And here's why we're, we're tackling this topic this month. Not, not because we're trying to stir up trouble, but because the beauty of the church has always been found in its diversity. The church can get ugly, off track, and often misaligned when it becomes uniformed. When, when, when there aren't differences represented throughout the congregation. If you have any experience in church and, and pain in church, oftentimes you can tie it back to uniformity. This, this is found ethnically, but one of the growing divides of diversity in our world is generational divides. We, with the ever-increasing rate of change in our world, the divides between different generations, older and younger, has never been more distinct and never been more difficult. So, so what does that have to do with church? Well, did you know that God has not only created every person uniquely for a purpose, but he's given the world different generations, and they're all unique, and they have a purpose. We see this illustrated in the words that Joshua shared at the end of his, his time. It's recorded in Joshua 24, verse 14. He said this to the people of God, to the Israelites. He said, now fear the Lord and serve him with all faithfulness. Throw away your, the, the gods your ancestors worshiped beyond the Euphrates River and in Egypt and serve the Lord. 
But if serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, then choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve, whether the gods your ancestors served beyond the Euphrates or the gods of the Amorites in, in whose land you are living. But as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. That Joshua here is talking about the different generations. He spoke of what his ancestors had done, previous generations, what current generations, the land you're currently living in. And then he makes this statement, this bold statement. He said, but for me, for, for this generation, for me, we will serve the Lord. Joshua is a great example of him taking ownership of his generation. What was unfortunate about Joshua's story, though, is later, this is what's said about the generation that would follow Joshua, the next generation. In Judges chapter 2, verse 10. So after that whole generation, this was Joshua's generation, after that whole generation had been gathered to their ancestors, meaning they died, another generation grew up who neither knew the Lord nor what he had done for Israel. Now, just briefly, let me give you a little context. This is so crazy. Joshua, his generation, would accomplish what generations and generations and generations, hundreds if not thousands of years of, of generations had been waiting to accomplish. They would take possession of the promised land. This was a promise that God had given Abraham, and God said, one day your descendants are going to inhabit this land. And Moses had led the people up to the Jordan River, and they turned around and spent 40 years wandering in the wilderness and never actually inhabited it. And now Joshua had done the impossible, the unthinkable. He had, he had literally led the people of God across the Jordan River Hey, they conquered the land. They now inhabit the land. Like, they're living in the middle of the promise. Like, this was an amazing moment. Uh, this is a generation that, that for hundreds of years, Israelites had waited for that generation. Like, if you're gonna pick a greatest generation, this is the greatest generation for them. And yet, the generation that would follow them, that follow the generation that, this is the Joshua's generation. These are the ones who marched around the walls of Jericho and and. And, and shouted and, and worshiped as God had called them and the, and the walls just crumbled like without any, them lifting a hand, they just crumbled. This is the generation that would cross the Jordan River in flood stage on dry land. This is the generation that would go up against armies and battles that they should never have won and they were victorious. This is Joshua's generation and all the exploits, all the accomplishments, all the miracles and the supernatural moments that God intervened. The generation that followed Joshua it says, they grew up and neither knew the Lord nor what he had done. They didn't know any of it. And, and the generation that followed Joshua, that following generation, it went from here to here. You see, each generation God places on this earth isn't meant simply for their own generation, but the beauty of God's diverse creation is found when people who are different engage with each other, when different generations work together. The ability of the generations to work together in the church isn't just like a matter of convenience. It's necessary for the church ultimately to fulfill its mission. Beyond that, what we're talking about this month isn't just about the church and the generational gaps that have, have gotten bigger and bigger and bigger, but, but they're also, uh, this is something that's present in the workplace. Wherever you work, I promise you, you see generational conflict. People who have been there forever, who are one generation looking down on people who are newer or younger. You have boomers in the workplace who hate Gen X or Gen Zs 
or millennials who are trying to work their way into the workplace and, and they think they're lazy or they're this or that. And, and on the other side, uh, they think, millennials think boomers are, are, are just you know, too full of themselves and not willing to try new things. Like there's these generational conflicts that aren't just present uh, in, in a church, but they're present in our workplace. And we're not just talking about this next month, how we can be a better church in here, but also how can we be better followers of Jesus out there? Next week, we're gonna talk about leaning into our strengths. And the week after that on Father's Day, we're gonna have a panel discussion with three other dads and grandfathers discussing the importance of owning our roles. And then we're gonna close out this month talking about empowering future generations, trying to learn our lessons from Joshua. How can we make sure the generations that follow us uh, know what the Lord has done? And, And here's a simple thought I wanna share with you today as we talk about celebrating our differences. The greatest gift we give this world isn't our ability, but it's our agreeability. Now, let me explain this. I'm not saying that we just agree with everybody. But our ability to reach across divides, to, 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 to bring unity, our ability to connect with people, that is a far greater ability than just your ability. You go into the workplace, specifically. You, you, we've all had those shining star people in our workplace. They're like awesome. They're good at everything they do. They just seem to get it right. The boss loves them and, and they get everything. They're, they're good salesmen or they're good project manager. or They're, they're good at whatever, whatever field. They're really good at it. But they are jerks. They are the worst people to work with because <laughs> they're so good and full of themselves. What, what I'm saying is the greatest gift you will give the world isn't this all-star, off-the-charts ability. It's your ability to work with others. It's your agreeability. I don't know about you, but I would take all day the person who maybe isn't as talented but can work with others versus the person who's off the charts talented but can't work with a single person. The greatest gift that we get to give the world isn't our ability, it's our agreeability. In fact, Jesus prayed this in, in his high priestly prayer. It's recorded in John chapter 17. He said this, my prayer is not for them alone. He's speaking of his disciples. My prayer is not for them alone. I also, I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. Jesus is saying in our agreeability, in our ability to be unified, it actually is going to confirm that Jesus is who he says he was, that he's the son of God, that that he loves us and he died for us. Verse 22, he said, I've given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one. We oftentimes think that God gives us his glory so that we can show off, so that we can point people to him, so that people can see how powerful God is. Listen to what Jesus said. He said, I have given them the glory that you gave me that they may be one as we are one, that they can accomplish unity. You see this in the book of Acts. It said, as they were in the upper room seeking the baptism, the gift of the Holy Spirit, it said they were all in one accord. There was unity. What was the result? Acts chapter two, the end of the chapter, they all had everything in common, it says. There was unity. The power of God oftentimes is seen as doing the miraculous and the supernatural, healing people, raising the dead, doing things like that. But the greatest miracle that the Holy Spirit accomplishes, the greatest miracle the power of God accomplishes is unity. It's unity. And it's not unity where we all look alike and sound alike and talk alike. It's it's where the old and the young and everyone in between work together. 
He goes on, verse 23, I and them and you and me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you've loved me. Jesus' prayer wasn't that our abilities would shine more brightly as his followers. No, no, that, like, the one thing he could pray for for future believers was that our agreeability would point others to the one that unifies us, to the one that brings us together. Our generational differences in the workplace and even in the church can oftentimes make unity seem nearly impossible. We have to move beyond the minimum of simply tolerating each other, but we need to be willing to work together because the task at hand demands it. We aren't here to simply have church and sing kumbaya. No, God has equipped us and called us to reach the generations of our world. We are not a church of one generation or one age group or or one season of life. Something I think that's so unique here at Calvary is we have multiple generations present. I remember 12 years ago, I became the pastor here, and, and we had mostly older, older generations present. Heidi and I were some of the youngest in the church. And, and, and as we uh, added leaders and staff, and, and, and we started leading to where God wanted us to go, you know, oftentimes that was moving past what had always been. You know the saying that uh, defines the death of any organization, like this isn't how we've always done it. Uh, that kind of statement was a, a tension oftentimes present. And, and I would talk to our leaders, and, and sometimes it get frustrating because you'd have people who have been here for years, some who are founding members, and, and they didn't like this or that or, or, or you know, this approach or, or, or all of those things. And, and I would try to always communicate, we are never gonna please everybody, but we should at least honor them. You don't have to please them, but you should honor them. Just because they disagree or, or we don't see eye to eye, we need to honor them. And I've always felt that every generation is standing on the generations that go before them. And as we're standing on their shoulders, don't kick them in the face. They, 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 they have paved the way. Whether they're difficult, whether they're mean or jerks or, or any of that, either way, they've paved the way. They've gone before us. And, and we have to learn not just in the church, but in, in society. We need to learn that, that God desires we work together. And at Calvary, this has been something that from the beginning has been a staple. I think, just look at our, our pastoral team. For nearly all of us, this is so unique, we have both our parents, our in-laws, and our children in the church. It's three generations present. And that's very rare, but it speaks to this value we have as a church. The value is that that we grow best in the context of relationships. It's in, our inability, it's in our ability to engage others who are different than us through relationship that we grow the most. And, and before we, we move on, I, w- I wanna just quickly identify these generational labels. And this isn't to create more divides or just to get into the weeds of things, but to be clear with the titles I'm using because uh, where these fall are different depending on who, what book you're reading or what person, experts speaking. And uh, these labels I gathered from Tim Elmore's book, A New Kind of Diversity, uh, if, which by the side, as a side note, if you're looking to, to take your team at work or your workplace through a discussion on this, this is a great launching point, I'll say that. Uh, it's called A New Kind of Diversity uh, by Tim Elmore. And, and here's, here's the divides. Here's what I wanna do. I thought this would be kind of fun. I'm gonna list this, and if, if this is your generation, you can raise your hand if you feel comfortable. If you're watching online, one of the shelters, you can, you can do that as well. If you're watching on Facebook, YouTube, put in the comments 
which generation you would fall into. So the first one is the builder generation. These are people who were born between 1929 and 1945. This is oftentimes also referred to as the greatest generation. So we have, have some here. No one's born in those years. Some of you, okay, there we go. Uh, the baby boomer generation, those were born 1946 to 1964. This boom ended up being 76.4 million new babies, the largest number born in any generation up to that point. So who, how many baby boomers? We've got a few baby boomers here. Okay, boomer. <laughs> the next one. Baby Buster Generation, also known as Generation X. These are people born between 1965 and 1982. That's, that's me. I was born on the end of that, not at the beginning. But uh, Next one is the Millennial Generation, those born 1983 to 2000, also known as Generation Y. We have a few of those here. Um, this ended up being the largest generation in American history, surpassing baby boomers with over 80 million babies born. So... Uh, Everyone, the baby boomers and millennials oftentimes clash so much, it's because they're fighting over the same trophy. <laughs> who, who, who was a bigger boom? Uh, millennials win that one, honestly. Uh, the next generation is Generation Z, those born 2001 to 2015. Got a few of those. And the last one is our current new generation, the alpha generation, those born 2016 to present. These are our generations. Now, one of the trends that has increasingly made it important for generations to work together uh, isn't simply for peace and unity, but the millennials, Gen Z, and Alpha generation are quickly becoming the most unchurched generations in American history. Uh, a recent survey by the uh, American National Family Life uh, Survey found that less than half of millennials, 45%, and Gen Z, 40%, say their families attended religious services weekly, or more growing up. Meanwhile, a majority of Gen X, 52%, baby boomers, 57%, and the greatest generation, 58%, say they went to church each week with their families. Uh, if you see the trend, is trending. As younger generations are less likely to have participated in church services or public expressions of faith, they're also less likely to identify with faith at all. Uh, according to that same survey, uh, while only 9% of the greatest generation say they were religiously unaffiliated, meaning 91% of that generation, of the greatest generation, are affiliated with some faith. So only 9% are unaffiliated. That percentage rises with each subsequent generation. For baby boomers, that percentage is 18% are completely unaffiliated with any faith. Gen X, 25%. Millennials, 29%, and Gen Z, 34%. More than a third have no faith affiliation. And for, for, for Gen Z, uh, over half of Generation Z either identify as no religious affiliation, atheist, or agnostic. Atheist is 9%, agnostic is 9%. That's, that's uh, almost 55, 53%, 52% uh, of that generation. I don't share this to scare you or to be like, oh my goodness, the world is caving in or the whole sky is collapsing or we're, we're in trouble. I share this to share the importance, the incredible importance of working together. This isn't about propping up the church. This isn't trying to keep the church capital C in America, you know, relevant. This is, this is a commitment about our legacy. Our commitment isn't that we'd have a large church, an impressive church, but it would never be said of us what was said of Joshua's generation that after that generation had been gathered to their ancestors, another generation grew up who neither knew the Lord nor what he had done. 
This generational divide has historically been this uniquely American thing. Because we live in this free nation, every generation has the ability to kind of speak whatever they want. And because of that, usually what every generation does is they, they speak things that contradict the previous generations. We see this over history. Almost two centuries ago, French diplomat and philosopher Alexis uh, uh, Tocqueville stated that in the United States, each generation is a new people. Like it's an entirely new people. And it's true, every generation bring its own, brings its own perspective, its own issues, its own passions. The problem isn't what they bring to the table though. It's how those uh, how those thoughts and ideas conflict with other generations. Historian Neil Howe, he made the observation that every generation tends to intuitively pursue three things. First, they break with the previous generation. Gen Z says to the millennials, you're kind of cool, but we're even cooler. The other thing is they correct two generations ahead of them. Gen Z says to their parents, I love you, but I will never raise my kids the way you've raised me. I see all of your mistakes and I'm gonna do things differently. And then they replace three generations older. Gen Z is aware of their aging grandparents who will soon be gone, so they value things that are retro, like listening to records or enjoying older music. And, and while we could focus a lot on, on all the differences between generations and what, what, how those conflict, it's also true that each generation brings something unique, unique experiences, unique perspectives shaped by those experiences and unique dreams Think about this. The things that Gen Z are dreaming of today weren't even fathomable by the greatest generation. Like, not even on the radar. If you had said to someone in 1945 or 1950, I dream of being a YouTuber, they'd be like, what are you, what are you, what does that even mean? There's even words, the language. Like, what, what, what these next generations dream of aren't even processed the wisdom, though, and the stability and the guidance of the greatest generation and baby boomers that they can bring to Gen Z is exactly what this generation needs. After all, Gen Z has, has really grown up in a society of chaos. In, in Acts chapter 2, verse 17, Peter quotes the Old Testament prophet Joel in his powerful statement about the different generations and the message he, he gave on, on the day of Pentecost as 3,000 people would begin following Jesus that day. Here's what he said in Acts 2, verse 17. He said, in the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and your daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. In the last days, when chaos will ensue, when there will be wars and rumors of wars, disease, natural disasters, when the world is coming apart at the seams, it will be the stability that the church brings that will communicate peace, calm, and trust in God. That stability won't be found in the church's customs or traditions. It, it won't be found in the church's style or strategy. It will be found in how the generations can interact in love, how those with differences can actually work together instead of war against each other. This is what Jesus prayed for in John 17. It's not in our style or our approach, it's how we can work together and how we can work through our differences. It's not in our ability, it's in our agreeability. You see, we have such a unique opportunity as followers of Jesus today. An opportunity that isn't found in championing one generation or even selling out to one generation. But we have the opportunity to celebrate each other, to work together, to reach the generations that follow us. This is a passion of ours as a church, that we aren't just a generation of one age group or one group, but that we can be a multi-generational church. 
There's a beauty in that. There's a health in that. This is something that we have been very intentional to cultivate as a church. Maybe you've noticed it, maybe you haven't. And why is that? Because here's the deal. Our lives aren't defined by what we do. Our lives become defined by what we leave behind. What are you gonna leave behind? Look, what is the legacy that we leave as a church? Our church is, this year is now 51 years old. Five decades, that's awesome. What is the legacy we as a church leave behind? What is the legacy you leave behind for your family, for your kids, for your grandkids? Maybe you have no kids. What is the legacy you leave for, for, for those that are, you're friends with? What, what are the memories that are gonna be shared about you one day when they stand in a church like this and reflect on your life as you passed on? Our lives aren't simply defined by what we do. Our lives are defined by what we leave behind. What are you gonna leave behind? So, so what does that mean for us today? I know we can't change an entire society. We can't change the societal trends that are happening. And you can see all of the studies in the workplace, it's becoming a bigger and bigger and bigger issue. We have younger generations bumping into older generations and everyone's fighting and no one can get along. Very few have been able to figure this out. How, how, do we, how do we make an impact in that kind of a world? We might not be able to entirely bridge the generational divides present across our world today. But you know what we can do? We can do? What we can do is we can bridge that divide with one person, through one conversation, through one interaction. As the worship team comes this morning, here's what I wanna challenge you with. Uh, for those that are here in person, when you came in, you got a card. If you're watching online, we have a, a QR code, should be in the bottom of the screen here. Uh, you, can, you can scan that QR code uh, and get the same card. What I want you to do is I want you to take those cards and have a conversation with someone from a different generation. You may be like, how do I, how do I know what generation they're from? Take, take a guess, you can probably figure it out. Um, find someone who's older, someone who's younger. Find someone from another generation. It could be someone that, that's at work that's older than you. It could be someone in church that's younger than you. It could be a neighbor down the street that you respect and you look up to. It could be someone that you see a lot of potential in. I want you to sit down with them and walk through the questions that are provided there. Why are we doing this? Last month, we spent an entire month talking about spiritual community. Why do we talk about community? Why does this even matter? Because our ability to work with others, our ability to get along with others, directly affects our ability to follow Jesus. We have believed this lie sometimes that, and I think it's a, in a large way an American thing, that man, I can follow Jesus on my own. I can make it through. Maybe, maybe you're here and like, you're not even following Jesus and you're like, whatever, this is uh, new stuff to me. Here's the truth. You're not going to accomplish anything simply because you're strong enough, or you're good enough, or you're that uh, successful or, or that gifted. Everything we accomplish in life that is significant takes others, involves others, demands that others come alongside. We're not here to, to be like individual shining stars. We're here to be this amazing city on a hill. We're here to change the world, but that can't happen if we're trying to go it alone. I want you to have a conversation. Maybe it's grabbing coffee. 
Maybe it's, you know, uh, grabbing lunch. Depending on the generation, you know, you might figure that out, you know. For, for those boomers, you know, get something that they can chew easily. I'm just kidding, I'm just kidding. It's just a joke, it's just a joke. Just a joke. You know, for, for if you're having, you know, getting together with someone who's a millennial or Gen Z, you know, something they can eat with one hand so they have their cell phone in the other. There you go. We'll, we'll, we'll offend everybody. Um, look for someone from a different generation and, and, and have a conversation with them. There's questions there. Go through those conversations. Go through those questions. And listen. Your goal isn't just get through the conversation and get through the questions. It's, it's to listen. What can you learn from them? What can you learn from their generation? They have experienced things that you can't even relate to. I remember sitting down with my grandfather. He lived with us for a few years, my dad's dad. He was born in 1901. And we sat down and we recorded this conversation with a cassette, mind you. He can tell you how old that was. And, and we just asked him, tell us, tell us your story, your life story. And I remember listening about, I mean, he remembered when people started using automobiles for the first time electricity, indoor plumbing. And, and, and he's talking about like televisions. And he, he passed away in the early 90s. He had lived through so much. I remember as a young kid, I'm like 10, 11 years old, thinking, wow, what this man has seen and what he has experienced, I can't even relate to. But how special is it that I get to hear it? Sit down with someone from another generation and listen. What does that have to do with following Jesus? It has everything to do with it. We learn and we grow, not simply because we're that smart or that good. We can learn from others' mistakes. And you know there's something called reverse mentoring? We can learn from the generations behind us as well, the younger generations. They can teach us a lot. They can teach us from a different perspective. You think about Gen Z, they've lived through September 11th a pandemic, a societal upheaval. They, they've lived through a lot. They view things very differently and we can learn from that. Learn from the different generations. And, and after you have that conversation, here's what I want you to do. I want you to email me. My email address is on that card. I want you to email me those, these, these things. What did you learn? What did you, what did you take away from that interaction? How could you continue to celebrate and learn from other, others in different generations? Why do you have to email me? I, just, I want to hear how it went. How, how did it go? Make it a, a, a point of accountability. This is your homework. I know it's summer. We don't do homework in the summer. This is going to be your summer work. This week, I want you to have a conversation. I guarantee you probably have someone already in mind that you don't want to, but you're going to, right? And have that conversation, then email me. Let me know how it went. And here's where this becomes so powerful. In his Sermon on the Mount, Jesus paints this beautiful picture of what the church could be, what the church should be. And Jesus' Sermon on the Mount is so often, a lot of what he talks about is about how we can follow Jesus and the things inside of us, like we need to love our enemies, pray for those who persecute us. We need to be, uh, be willing to seek first his kingdom, his righteousness, and all these things will be added to us as well. But in this, these few verses in Matthew chapter five, Jesus is kind of painting the picture. I love the picture he paints of what followers of Jesus, of what the church should one day become. He said this in verse 14, he said, you are the light of the world. 
A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Can't be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the room. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. This is kind of hearkening to what Jesus would say in John 17. Others will see God and see that God sent me when you can be one. When we can celebrate each other rather than war against each other, whether in the church or the workplace, the school or neighborhoods, what's the result? We become this beacon, this shining city on a hill that is showing, showing the world that we aren't led simply by how we feel, by what we see, or even what we think is best. We are led by a God that has created us beautifully diverse, that we can learn from anyone and make a greater impact when we are willing to work together. See, it's not simply our lives at stake. It's serving, loving, and guiding the generations that will follow us. What could it look like? What would it look like if you could develop a relationship, a friendship, maybe a mentorship with someone from a different generation? How could you foster that in your life? Maybe you're new in a career, in a job, Who's someone that's where you want to be one day? Maybe, maybe for you, you, you're getting ready to retire or you've already retired. Who's someone that you can build a relationship with and learn from? Not build a relationship so you can like tell them all the stuff you know, but you can learn from them. If we can be lifelong learners, learn from every generation, what does that look like? What it looks like is a beautiful picture of heaven. This is what Jesus intended. This is what God's intention is. Not that every generation is like the, the biggest, best deal. It's that we can work together. And we can recognize what's beautiful and special about our generation, but also what's beautiful and special about the generations above us and below us, older and younger. We get to experience this beautiful unity that Jesus prayed for in John 17. Because our greatest gift to the world isn't our ability. It's not your talent. Those are important things. Your greatest gift to the world is your agreeability, your ability to work together with others. In any workplace you find yourself in, in any place that you're serving or leading, whether it be in the church or outside the church, I promise you, you will find the greatest gift you give in that moment is your ability to work with others, especially those different than you. Can we, as followers of Jesus, stop trying to be so me-focused. Like, I, want, I want this church to be about me, what I like, what I want. I want the worship. I want the style. I want, all this, I want it to be what works for me. What if we can step back and say, you know what? I want what's gonna work for them. I want to work that the generations that come behind me will know God and what he has done, will know how powerful and almighty God has been in my life and what he can do in their life. Some of you have life experience that others desperately need to hear from. They need to hear how God stepped in, how God intervened, how God provided. They need that because they're walking through seasons without the life experience, wondering if it's gonna happen. And you're able to say to them, listen, it happened for me and it can happen for you because God is faithful, he is true, he is trustworthy, he is just. Before we go this morning, I want you to take that card in your hand. I wanna pray over this because I believe strongly that God is gonna give some divine appointments this week 
not so that you can pour into someone's life, but so that you're gonna get connected to someone that's gonna pour into your life. And God's gonna use that conversation to push you. In the book of Hebrews, it says, do not neglect the gathering together because we can spur each other on. My prayer is that God would use this conversation, this simple action, this simple homework, if you will, to help spur you on toward greater faith, to a deeper walk with Jesus, to learning what you can from someone else, from another generation. Let's pray over these cards this morning. God, I pray for these conversations that will take place this week. God, I pray that you would, God, guide and direct them. I pray, Holy Spirit, you would connect us divinely with the right people of other generations that we can learn from, that we can glean from. God, that we wouldn't become so full of ourselves that we think we know it all, but God, that we can listen. God, that we can glean from those who are older than us, that we can glean from those who are younger than us. God, that you can shape us, mold us, transform us into the men, the women of God you want us to be, Lord, that that the generations that follow us, it would never be said of them that they they neither knew God or what he has done. God, I pray you would help us spend every breath that we have in our lungs, making sure that the generations behind us, what we leave behind, God is a definition of who God is and what he has done. God, go with us. Let us represent you well in this world. Let us shine brightly. Let us be that city on a hill. God, that shines the light so brightly. Lord, that we don't keep it under a bushel, but Lord, we let it shine. Thank you, God, for what you're doing in our church, in our community. Guide us and direct us, empower us and equip us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. This is Pastor Nick Poole, the lead pastor at Calvary. We're so glad you joined us for today's podcast. I hope you enjoyed the message. At Calvary Church, we're passionate about leading people into an overflowing life with Jesus. We would love the opportunity to connect with you on your faith journey and hear what God is doing in your life or join you in prayer for any needs you might have. You can visit us online at calvaryirwin.com or send us an email at info at calvaryirwin.com. On our website, you'll find previous week's messages, a list of upcoming events, as well as resources designed to help you take those next steps on your journey of faith. See you next week, and may the Lord bless you and keep you. May he make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. 